for a minute. Just take your arms and put them out. Stretch like that. Take them behind you up high. You know, touch your toes. Without, don't hit your heads on the back of the pews. But touch your toes down there. Get limbered up because we have a lot to talk about today. So like I said, um, it's a joy to get to in this season. Come and offer some guidance and direction as and to serve the church, uh, Lord willing, in a good way for the next few months as we transition um, out of the typical finding a pastor season. That window started to close and now we're into uh, a season that's going to carry us for the next 10 months or so and that, until that window kind of opens back up again. Today, the goal is to cast to you some vision, some thoughts of what God can do in this place over the next few months. And I hope that you leave today encouraged by something and holding fast onto something. There's a lot of people who aren't with us this morning, and we need to talk about these things often. And so I want you to carry the voice. We're in this together. We have to work through this together. We are the church. The pastor's not the church. You are the church. This building isn't the church. You are the church. So let's band together and focus on these things and see what God wants to do for us. Um, over the course of the next few months, my responsibilities for you will be as follows. I'm going to be filling the pulpit uh, all but one Sunday a month. Ashley and I will have one Sunday a month away. Um, I'll be leading your local board of administration as a voice, not a vote, but offering guidance and working the local board through their agenda. And we're working on forming an interim ministry team made up of lay people in the church to oversee some of the different ministries. And one of my responsibilities will be to meet, uh, starting off weekly, um, it may remain that way, I'm just uncertain of how time will be, but starting off weekly, meeting with that team to be sure that the bases are covered in relationship to the church. So we have a lot to do, and it's going to be some extra responsibility for everyone to shoulder. But Lord willing, God's going to do something good in this season, and I'm excited to see what could unfold. So are you ready to go? Come on, guys. Let's do this. All right. So I'm going to carry on the concept that we've been working off of as I've been presenting to you over the past few times that I've had the opportunity to fill the pulpit. And that is with the idea that there is no small thing. There is no small person, no small item, no small amount of money, no small thing when it's put in God's hands. We've given the overarching concept or idea. You can go back, uh, John, I believe it's John, do you put those on the website each week, John? John faithfully puts those there, so if you missed all of that, you can go back and find it. Last time I spoke with you on this topic, we talked about Moses and about the excuses that Moses offered about why he wasn't who God wanted, and he tried to get out of the job, but ultimately he relented to what the Lord asked of him to do, and he did something wonderful uh, for in the service of the Lord. Today we're going to talk about Jonah, and I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have a pew Bible in front of you, the book of Jonah in the blue Bible is found on page 916. If you have a red Bible with you, that's on page 654. We're going to be reading out of the New International Version today, which is what you have in your pew. So if you don't have a Bible, I want you to grab the pew Bible so you can understand where we're at in Scripture. God's going to come and give Jonah a calling. We're all familiar with the story, at least the big part of the story, the big fish, right? But God comes and gives Jonah a call, and he asks Jonah to do something for him. 
God gives every one of us a call. You have a call from the Lord on your life. It's not just pastors. It's not just missionaries. Everyone who is a follower of God has a call on your life. If you're a Christian and you've never felt the Spirit of God call you to do something, then you need to spend a little bit more time with your Heavenly Father because God calls every one of us. God calls every one of us. Sometimes the callings are big things. They're things that seem, you know, glamorous sometimes into the mission field. Not as glamorous as we might think, but it seems very glamorous to think about uprooting and moving somewhere where God has called you or into pastoral ministry. Sometimes they're big things. Sometimes they're smaller things. Sometimes they're just little things that God asks us to do that change a bit of the way we normally live our life, but God asks us, are you willing to do this for me? Sometimes the calling may seem small for someone, but in reality, it is a huge challenge. I have a picture here of my great-grandfather, Emery. Great-granddad, Emery. Uh, he, I, I don't remember him. He was still living when I was born, but passed away shortly after. My great-grandpa, Emery, came to know the Lord in a tent revival meeting. He and his family had gone to the drugstore to buy razor blades and tobacco. <laughs> That's what he was after. And they pulled up there to the drugstore and uh, he went in and left his wife and the kids in the car with the windows rolled down. And behind where the drugstore was located, out in the field behind it, there was a tent that was set up where they were having a revival meeting. And he came back out to the car with his tobacco and his razor blades. And he got in the car and his wife asked him, uh, oh, Warren, can we, can we sit here in the car and listen to the music? He said, okay. So they sat there in the car, a distance away from the tent, and listened to the music. The next evening, she asked him, I'd like to go back. So they drive the car back, sit more a little closer in the parking lot of where this revival has happened with the windows rolled down, listening to the music. She asked again the third night, I'd like to go back. And they go in and they make their way in and they sit in the back of this tent of people. God grabs them by the heart and calls them into his family. They come to know the Lord right there. And things start off really, really good. But then my grandpa Emery starts getting involved in church, getting involved in what's happening. And all of a sudden, the pastor one day preaches about money and preaches about tithe. This is in the era of the Great Depression. And he was stretching every dollar that he had. His wife was ill. She would pass away a little bit later, that he was stretching every dollar that he had to provide for his family. And the pastor, you know, is preaching a tithe of 10%. And to my great-grandfather, that seemed insurmountable. It may seem small for many of us to say, you know, that's just normally how we operate. That's how my wife and I operate. We um, tithe to our church in South Carolina where we moved from. We're still members there, and uh, that's storehouse tithing as it is, or our membership's there, maybe one day the membership will come here, and then we do our offering, all of that, that's, that's part of our lives, it's who we are, and to us, it's it's just normal, but for some that may say, my goodness, 10%, that's how my grandfather received that, that is astronomical, I can't afford that, and so he decided, I'm quitting church altogether, well, Sunday night, that same night, my grandmother, uh, great-grandmother Emery, still went to church, they had a prayer meeting, and she came to the altar and asked people to pray for Orange 
that God was dealing with him about this. She came to the altar, and the people gathered around her and prayed. And as they were praying, he came walking in the back of the church with his money in hand and walked up to the front and put it in the offering plate. And my grandpa, Emery, as a boy, remembers that every time he would get paid, there was this tin sitting on top of one of the cabinets in their house. Every time he would get paid, the first thing he would do would be take that money that God had called him to give, and he put it in that tin at the beginning of the week, and it would remain there until Sunday, when it would be gathered up and brought into church. It was a huge thing for him, but there was obedience in that calling. Sometimes God's calling us just to simple things like that. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about money today. I don't know where you're at. One day we'll get there, okay? I promise you. I know you want to hear a great message about money. So one day we'll talk a whole lot about money. But everybody has a calling. We might even call it a vocation. The word vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means to call. Your vocation is your calling. God gives you a vocation, something that he wants you to be doing as a believer. It is your calling. And the Bible teaches us that everybody is called to do something for the Lord. Each one of us has that, whether it's for employment or some other activity. Most of us may have multiple callings. You may have been called to care for an ailing family member or called to be a good student in the season of life that you're in. It may be a calling to be a responsible parent, to raise your children well. That is a viable calling. It might be to serve God through a ministry of the church or to work in an area of service in our community. And there are also callings that emerge kind of spontaneously and may catch us by surprise. You might encounter a stranded traveler who needs help getting to their destination or a hungry person who needs food or be struck with the desire or the thought, I should pray for this person. Have you ever had that. Maybe you're in the grocery store and your cashier, you can just sense that there's something going on and God may be prompting you to say, ask her how you can pray for her. Spontaneous things like that are a calling. And sometimes they may completely change your life. They may call everything that you have into service. Things like serving on the mission field, things like stepping into the foster care system. There are many different callings, but whatever we do, God calls us to work at these things wholeheartedly, recognizing that it is our work. It's not a human venture, but it is what we do, enabled by the Holy Spirit to accomplish great things. And so we're going to look at the story of Jonah. God gives Jonah a calling to go do something, and we're going to see how Jonah reacts. Now I'm going to set up the time frame in your scriptures again for you a little bit. Jonah is called by God. He's one of the minor prophets in the Bible. you got the major guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Jonah's one of the minor guys. And in the story of the Bible, Genesis is about creation. And it's about uh, this guy named Abraham. And it winds up with Abraham's family in captivity in Egypt. And you got Exodus and the story of Moses and all that stuff until judges and kings. Then there's a split in the kingdom. And Jonah's story happens during that split time in the kingdom. Uh, your Bible is not in chronological order. When the book of Jonah was placed in your scriptures, those who placed it did their best to put the minor prophets in chronological order, but they got Jonah out of order. It was found out that Jonah takes place during a time in your Bible in 2 Kings. So there, even though and this stuff right here is happening at the same time in your scriptures here. And Jonah call, is called by God to go do something. 
And just like Moses, when Jonah is called, his reaction is not a great one. His reaction isn't stellar. He doesn't respond to God well. So let's look at it together. Jonah chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, and we're going to read it out loud together. We're all reading off the same translation, what's on the screen, or here in your Bible. Let's read together, okay? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amati. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here's Jonah. God gives him this super clear task. Go to Nineveh and talk with them about what's going on because they're being wicked. Tell them, I want them to turn their lives around. And so Jonah wakes up, gets dressed, and heads off to Nineveh. No goes in exactly the opposite direction. I'm sure you remember from Sunday school, if you studied Jonah, if you looked at him, you kind of see that Tarshish is the complete opposite direction. You couldn't be heading in a more opposite direction from Nineveh. He didn't want to go. He just takes off in some way thinking, I'm going to get away from this. This isn't something that I want to do. Do you ever do this sometimes as God has called you to something? Maybe God's asked you something that's outside of your comfort zone. And of all the occasions when God calls somebody to a task, very seldomly, I feel like, are people open and responsible to what God is asking them to do. They tend to resist. I feel like the best response to a calling from God is that little girl, Mary, who says, may it be unto me as you have said. She has one question for the Lord. How is this going to be? And God says, I'll accomplish it because I'm God. And she says, may it be unto me as you have said. This little girl sets the example. But here's these guys who get called into service for the Lord and just can't get it together. And so they head off in their own way, making up their own excuses, saying, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm a bad public speaker, I don't have the ability, no one will listen to me, I just don't want to, I don't think it'll work. Were any of these Jonah's excuses? Kind of. The big question is, why did he run? What was, jo what was Jonah's excuse to get away from this calling? Was it too frightening for him? Was it too big a job for him to handle? Was he scared that people would come and get him? It wasn't any of that. None of that is the matter. We're going to have to turn, well, in some of your Bibles, it's just on the next page. Some of you may have to turn a page. It's kind of a short book. To get to the answer of the heart of the matter. So you know the story. He gets on the boat. They set off to sail. And what comes up? The storm. This is interactive. You guys can answer here, okay? And it starts tossing the boat back and forth. It is a violent storm. The captain starts gathering up everything that they can get rid of and throwing it overboard to keep the boat light so that it's not going to sink. But even that... Even those steps aren't enough. And they go down to the bottom of the ship and they find Jonah sleeping down there. Good job. Who, who said that? You got it. Very interactive. Very good. They find him sleeping down there in the bottom of the boat. They wake him up and they say, start praying to your God. We're praying to our gods. You pray to your God. This storm's got to end. We're all going to die. And so he does start praying. Well, he comes to this realization after praying for a while that the cause of the storm is him. The cause of the storm is him. 
And he goes to the guys and he says, guys, you know, this is like the one self-sacrificial thing that Jonah does in this entire story. Guys, you're going to have to throw me overboard to save your own life. They don't want to do it. They keep trying to pray, but the storm doesn't go away. And so they end up heave-hoeing him right over the edge. And almost as soon as his body hits the water, the storm calms down. And then we find out that God sent a very big fish. Now, my daughter, Deborah, has a book, a storybook about Jonah that sometimes we read. And at this point in the story, it's kind of like illustrated in the way that that part in Pinocchio, where Pinocchio gets swallowed by the whale, they're in this cavernous stomach, and the ceiling is taller than the ceiling of the church, and there's a whole ship in there, you know what I'm talking about? I doubt that is exactly the, the, the living conditions. Also, I can't figure this one out in all the illustrations I ever see in children's books. Somehow Jonah's got like this lamp down there with the fish that's like lighting things. And he's like sitting there, you know, being like, well, this is really crummy. Uh, Lord, help me. Pitch black. What do you know about stomachs? I'm sure it smells terrible. Di- right. Digestive fluid all over you. And for three days, I mean, can you imagine, like, Ashley doesn't, like, if we, I don't know if there's an exit out of that closet, if we, like, closed Ashley in a small closet like this, her claustrophobia would begin to set in, and she'd be scraping at the door to get out. Can you imagine being bound up, covered in stomach acid of a fish for three days? Well, he begins praying to the Lord, and the Lord delivers him. And the fish vomits Jonah up onto the shore. And Jonah decides he's going to head to Nineveh and start talking with the people about what God asked him to do. Now, a lot of times in the children's Bible story, it kind of ends there. But that is not the end of Jonah's story. So he gets to Nineveh and he begins to tell the people about what God is saying. And of all things, everybody in this entire town turns their hearts the Lord. It's estimated that the size of the town is 120,000 people. 120,000 people, that's five to six times the size of Greenfield. 120,000 people turn their hearts to the Lord. Look at me in, uh, look at me, look at your Bibles in chapter 3, starting with verse 6. This is when the king begins to find out what's going on. Read with me. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his thrones, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and his compa- with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Just imagine this for a moment. Imagine a whole town of 120,000 people turning to the Lord. What would you want to do next? You've been given this calling to go 
witness and evangelize to these people, and all of a sudden you've got a mega church, bigger than we sing a lot of songs from Hillsong, right? You called me out upon the waters, all that stuff. That's Hillsong. That's one of the biggest churches in the world. This is bigger than that. This is a massive amount of people who all of a sudden believe in the world. Wouldn't you want to set up like a discipleship class and start to get people, you know, involved and maybe establish a church or do something? That's how I feel like I would react. But do you know how Jonah reacts? Jonah goes and sits outside of town waiting for God's destruction to happen. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. He sits back and waits for them to repent. And they don't repent. And God in his mercy and love has done an incredible thing here. And this is Jonah's reaction. Read it with me. Jonah chapter 4. But Jonah, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, while I was still at home? That this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He can't find any joy in this. Why? Why? The entire city has repented and turned to God. A church, a megachurch has popped up out of nowhere. And here we see Jonah's heart and his excuse about why he won't follow the call of God. See, Jonah has gone through the motions, but something is still off. Jonah, this is, if you got your bulletin, Jonah was not afraid that God's plan wouldn't work. Jonah was afraid that God's plan would work. You see, Jonah did not want these people to have mercy. There was some sort of racism there. There was some sort of negativity there between him and the people of Nineveh, he didn't want their repentance. He wanted them all to die. He wanted God to send fire down out of heaven. He didn't want these people to have mercy. Oh, how contrary to the heart of Jesus. He did not have goodwill towards his enemies. He was not about to bless those who used to curse him. Jonah was a hardliner. He was somebody who said these people aren't deserving of God's mercy and grace. And he goes outside the city to sulk and literally says, just kill me. This is so detestable to me, God, that you in your mercy would do something like this. I'd rather be dead. Now that is a very harsh statement. That is a very harsh statement. So let's get back to the excuse. Why don't we follow God's calling? Could it ever be because we don't like what He's asking us to do? That we don't want to see His hand move in that way? And so we set off the other way. We might not jump on a ship to sail off in the opposite direction, but we certainly have plenty of things that we can use to distract ourselves from what God calls us to do call that you don't like. And here I want to ask you, 
you identify with Jonah. Last time I spoke, I asked you if you identify with Moses in any way. Do you identify with Jonah? Are you going to listen or not listen because you don't like what God may want to do? You might say, I wouldn't, Matthew. I would never be that way. You may say that. I would never be that way. But let me tell you some things that I have heard people in the church say. I've heard people who are church people say, I like our small church. I don't want it to get any bigger. Because then I wouldn't know everybody. Well, what are you really saying there? You're saying you don't want people to know the Lord and to find Jesus in this space? Are you serious? Are you serious? How could you feel that way? What are you saying when you say that? I've heard this one too. Why do we focus so much time and attention on these kids whose parents don't come to church here? They're not contributing anything. What? You're kidding me, right? What you're saying there is, I don't like what God is doing. I don't want to be involved with it. God doesn't need my help. I'd rather see people perish than see God do something mighty. Oh Lord, check our hearts. Because sometimes we don't know what it is that we're really saying. Sometimes we don't know what the ramifications of what we're thinking really are. God, give us the mind of Christ. Here's the reality. God doesn't actually need us to make the things happen that He wants to see happen. God can do it on His own. God can make something happen. Amen? Amen. But God invites us. He steps into our lives and invites us to join hands with Him and be part of the story. And when our heart aligns with His heart, Powerful things happen and there is joy. You see, there was no joy for Jonah. The story ends abruptly. If you read through the end of chapter 4, Jonah is just called to do this thing. Later on in the story, this vine grows up and then God causes it to wither away. And Jonah cries. He's more emotionally involved in a vine than he is in the lives of 120,000 people who came to know the Lord. He'd rather have a vine live than see them live. This is a terrible story. Don't paint your kid's nursery with it. Uh, I mean, it's a terrible story. When we align our hearts with God's heart, God causes powerful things to happen and there is a joy in serving the Lord. I don't want you to live miserably with your heart out of alignment from what God wants to see. So this begs the question, does your heart align with God's heart? Does your heart align with God's heart? That's your second note in your bulletin, and I hope that you're writing it down. Because when your heart aligns with God's heart, powerful things can happen, and you will have the joy of the Lord. When you are serving Him and aligned with Him, you will have the joy of the Lord. Have you ever had gone to the grocery store and gotten that shopping cart that's got that wheel out of alignment? And it just does this thing the whole time, crashing into everything? There's no joy in shopping like that. 
you wreck the whole store. Things are falling off the shelves and all over the place and it makes a mess. And you think, curse the shopping cart. Why is it being this way? No, when there's a good alignment, it gives you joy in the process. And so the same is true with us and our hearts. We don't want that uncomfortable ride. Now I want to shift gears here slightly. Normally I would end right here and this would be the call to say, is your heart in alignment with God? But you got to do a little vision casting and this is why I'm asking you if you're awake today because all these things we're going to about to talk about here are super important. Um, I met with the local board Monday. We had a lengthy but good meeting. And I'm very thankful for the leadership team that you have here. They are going to be the driving force over the next 10 months as the church seeks the direction that God wants to take us in this time. And they are going to lead well. So I'm thankful for John and Lynn and Cindy Helfrich and Greg and Mike and Cindy Huffman and Ed. All of these people seek to serve the Lord and serve you in the best way. And as we met together, we began to pray together. And we asked the Lord to give us some ideas about ways that we could set up some goals, some ways that we could align our hearts with what God wants so that we could see some joy and some good things happen in this next season. Can you bear with me for just a moment? I have over here in this closet, this is my surprise this morning. Are you ready? Everybody excited and anticipating? Ooh, giant post-it notes. Yeah, good surprise, right? been more impactful if it had been like pie. I don't know if we can get this. Some of you see I can I made some ghost notes here so that we could get this. But here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm outlining for you the things that the board has sought the Lord's heart on. The things that we want to align ourselves to. To say, God, there's some things that we sense you want to do over the course of the next 10 months that will give us joy, that will be a benefit to the church. And I want you to to rally around them. I want you to carry these things forward. It is going to be us as a team that's going to work with God to see these things happen. So here's the first one. I got this giant Sharpie here, and I'm going to write it down. Again, ghost notes to some of you, it's kind of a, not a surprise, but we are praying that the Lord is going to give us three baptisms. Nobody's excited about that. Nobody's excited about that, right? We want to see three people baptized in the church. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take these off here. Lord willing, this will work right. Come on. Yeah. All right. These are giant post-it notes. So I'm going to hang this one right over here. Now you have a sort of a mission statement as the church is connect, grow, and serve. And that one falls in the grow category. We want to see three people baptized. That's a sign of discipleship and spiritual growth. And so you may already be, the wheels may be turning in your head. I've not been baptized, or I want to be baptized. We're, there's going to come this fall a baptism service, and we're praying that there's going to be three people. Now, wouldn't it be exciting if there were six people? Wouldn't it be exciting if there were more than that? Well, I mean, we're, I believe the Lord can do this. We are praying that the Lord is going to add five new people onto our membership role. The members of the church, somebody clapping for that one? Okay. <laughs> the members of the church play a key part in what happens here. As you have a pastoral candidate come in, you'll get to vote on this person and be involved in that process and step into leadership in other ways. 
Right now, our membership role, my understanding is, is somewhere in the 40s, maybe. There's more than that of us here. We can do this. Five people can step in there, and this one falls also in the grow category. We're praying that the Lord is going to give us two new families who don't currently attend here. Now, you've got to be involved in this. Because it's going to take your work to invite people, to gather people, to say, won't you come and join us as we seek to serve the Lord? Anybody but me excited? I don't know what you all are doing this morning. Okay, yeah, that's, that's good. There we go. This one's going back here. I'm just going to hang it up back here on this back wall. Two new families to come and participate in what the Lord is doing here. Now again, wouldn't it be exciting, exciting if God gave us five new families? We're just kind of throwing out a low number. We want to see what the Lord can do. Let's see Him exceed that. You guys are cheating, aren't you? Some of you are reading what's up here next. We're also praying that God is going to create a space here as we worship together for intergenerational ministry. I'm reading that in Gen. Here's what we want to see happen. We want this place to be, this space, the sanctuary, to be a space where people of all ages can worship together. We want to see children, youth, and adults. And already, our youth are stepping up. Matt has done a great job organizing some of the call uh, call to worships that are happening. We want to see more and more of that as we seek to worship the Lord together. So let me write this down here. This is exciting. Enter. This is exciting to watch somebody write. A-T-I-O-N-A. L, and then we went from capitals to worship. Uh, there we go. Okay. For the sake of time. Ashley, would you help me out here? Would you go hang this uh, right over Lynn's head back there in the very back? Thank you. Um, we want to see over the next 10 months an increase in familial love. We want to see you know each other And love each other as if we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I don't mean to say that you're not doing that right now. That's not what we're indicating. We just want to see it go deeper. We want to see you connect. That's the connect part of connect closer. We want to see you connect well with each other. i got more for you. You shouldn't have sat down here. And love each other and serve one another. we got more. This is exciting, right? All right, we want to see in the next 10 months five to six mission partners. That means global partners missionaries. That means local missions. All right, got it. That means who are we supporting outside of ourselves? Where are we investing to see the kingdom of God happen and grow in other places? You thought you were done. You just didn't sit down at all, should you? There's one more for you. Find a spot. I don't have a good recommendation for you. It's wherever you find a spot for it. All right, we're filling up the sanctuary. We're doing really good. I got one more. You all, we as a church have, and you see it in the back of our bulletins probably, some loans that are pretty... Hefty. 
They equate to almost three quarters of a million dollars. That's in two loan notes. One of those loan notes is around $70,000 right now. We want to see in the next 10 months that smaller loan note gotten rid of so that we can take what we spend to that and use it to roll into the other loan and to free up some ministry money. There's around $6,000 a month of ministry money that we're paying for in a building. Now, I understand it's good to have a building and a facility, but we need to free some of that up to use to serve the Lord and to impact our community. We want to see that. This small loan, if we get rid of it, frees up $672 a month. $672 a month if we can get rid of that thing. We want to see it happen. So, I'm ghosting up here. We've got a circle around there with a line through it. All right. Got one more for you, Ashley. And we're all done. That's the last one. These are things that you're bored. This is a service thing. So, the missions one, wherever Ashley hung that one up over there. And this one right here, this loan, this is all related to service. So, connect, grow, serve. All these things fall within those categories. And we want to align with these things and work as a body to see these things happen. So here's what we're going to do. As you look around the sanctuary, and you guys are blind to a couple of these over here, but as you look around the sanctuary and you see these things as they're hung up on the wall, there are probably some that speak to you in your heart. Just take a moment. Look around. Some of these things speak to your heart, and you can easily say, Oh, that's me. I want to see that happen too. And I'm willing to work to see this happen. Here's what I want us to do. You've already done a great job this morning standing up and moving. I want you to gather around the poster that your heart aligns with. And I want you to begin to pray as a group around that poster with those who are with you that God would do these things. Then I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a song and we're going to end. Are you ready? Stand up. Go to the spot where you, this is something that you identify with. Familial love. Intergenerational worship. Two families added to the church. Five to six clearly defined missions partnership. Five new members in the church. Two people to be baptized. An elimination of a small loan. Some of these things speak to you and to your heart and you want to join what God's heart is doing. Again, we've prayed for these things. The board has already begun to align with saying, this is how we feel as leadership that God is calling us to work and to serve over these next 10 months. Would you as a group, just somebody be bold. Would you pray with one another? Somebody step up to the plate and organize that. Who's going to pray for the intergenerational worship? Who's praying for the familial love? Somebody Organize your people there. Pray together. Who's going to be praying that three people would be baptized? That that loan would be eliminated? That five members would come in? Begin to do it. Circle up and pray. And let's ask the Lord to do something for us. Let's pray together. Lord, in this season and in this moment, we seek to align our hearts with Yours. The leadership in the church has prayed over these things and believes that this is a direction that you would send us. The time is short. In the grand scheme of things, 10 months is a drop in the bucket. And these tasks, some of them seem big. But we believe that you're able to do it. 
And we're excited for what you're going to do. God, as I pray around the room here, and as I see people who are gathered together in these spots, I thank you that there are different passions and different things that, that we sense and, and want to follow your calling on. So God, I pray as these who have gathered here next to five members in the church, God, I pray that you would grow the church. There's a responsibility here in our denomination. And when we join a local church, we are joining the Wesleyan church, something much bigger and broader. Would you cast that vision into our hearts and give us the passion to, to grow and to serve in that way as members, as, as stakeholders in what you're doing? God, I see this poster for five to six new missions partnerships. God, there are already places and ways that people are serving and giving to missions, but we pray that you would unite us in partnership around five to six different families who may be serving or ministries locally. And God, I pray that we would be a help and a benefit to those people and places. God, as we progress now to this part of the sanctuary, we're praying that you would send us new families into the church. And I don't doubt that some who are gathered here today hope and pray that it may be a family member of their own who gets connected to this place and knows this place and seeks to, seeks to see uh, new lives connected and those relationships happen. God, would you grow us in this season? Lord, there's a group gathered here that are praying over intergenerational ministries that want to see people of every age participate in some way and as we have church together as we meet together that no matter how young or old you are, you have a place in this space to serve and to, to be a part of what's happening here. God, would you develop us and grow us in that way. Lord, there's a group gathered here that's praying that you would deepen our familial love for one another. God, let us be like the church of old that was willing to sacrifice for each other. That was willing to to give and to serve one another no matter the cost. God, deepen that for us. Lord, there's a group gathered next to this poster about baptisms. God, I believe this is a sign of a church that is making an impact in people's lives. And we pray that You would give us the people to express their faith in You through the, through the act of baptism. God, would You make something beautiful happen in that way that we can celebrate and be joyful over and continue in the discipleship process. God, there's a group gathered in the back corner praying that You would help us as we seek to eliminate that smaller of the two loans. God, while we are very thankful for the facilities that we have to worship in, we also recognize that that needs to happen, that that needs to go away. That would free up Funds. So God, would you take and multiply and make a way and set our eyes on seeing that happen. Now God, I, I, I'm not trying to silo us here. I know that some of us have gathered next to one spot knowing that our hearts are in two or three or four different places. And so would you meld us together? Would you bring us together in one heart and one mind to accomplish these things together? I thank you for our local board of administration. I thank you for their leadership in this season and I pray that you would have your hand over them. God, I pray that they would often be seeking your counsel and guidance 
for your church here at Brown's Chapel. God, I pray for the interim team that will be asked to, to come on board and to serve in this season. God, I pray that you would give us a trust for one another and a love and a care for one another and that we can work together to, to see these things happen. God, we believe that there is much more to be done and for you to do in our midst. And we claim that today in Christ's name. Let's end today by worshiping together, by singing together. You can come back to your seat. You can stay at your poster. You can do however you want. Feel a freedom in that as we finish today's service in prayer together. And singing together. Prayer together. What? Thank you.